You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Welcome to the pinnacle of wrestling entertainment, Premier Streaming Network. Join us at watchonpremier.com to unlock the ultimate wrestling experience, curated to perfection. Immerse yourself in the spectacular world of wrestling history, where classic battles and unforgettable moments are at your fingertips. Join us today and experience the epitome of curated wrestling content, because when it comes to wrestling entertainment, Premier sets the standard. Be Premier. What's up, everybody? This is Dominic D'Angelo of several outlets, but here I am today on the Premier Streaming Network. But if you're listening on your podcast, I'm everywhere. I'm also here with the star of the show, Mr. Rob Van Dam. Rob, welcome back to the show again. We're on episode whatever it is, so good to hear you. Hey, we're uh, we're still going. It's time to start getting some feedback and seeing what people think about it. Yeah, yeah. People, uh, somebody, what did they, oh, they tuned in like, I think the day right when it dropped on Monday, we got like pretty quick feedback on stuff. I so far, Rob, and this is a shoot. I have not heard a negative word about this show. So cool, people, yeah. uh, send us some negative words. Uh, down I want below. some negative stuff, please. Look <laughs> us up with some on YouTube. So, uh, uh, so I guess I'll kick it off <laughs> with a little bit of like somber news. Uh, Iron Sheik just passed away. Uh, kind of, what was your interaction with him? Uh, did you did you have a relationship with him at all, or how, how'd that kind of lay out for you there? Yeah, you know. So first off, I gotta point out a lot of people mistake the original Sheik for the Iron Sheik. When I when I say the Sheik trained me, there's a lot of Sheiks, but there's one original Sheik and there's one Iron Sheik, and um, they're two different people. Uh, so um, you know, I watched the Sheik growing up. Uh, he was he was at my first uh, live shows, you know, when it was uh, the WW, what used to be F, way back in the day. Um, <clears throat> I I had gotten to work with him uh, uh, quite a bit and, and and got to know him um, enough. Um, when I wrestled for this promotion that brought me out here to Las Vegas for the first time, I believe that was '95. The uh, wrestling promoter tc martin ran nwc and uh there was a lot of xwwe wrestlers on the show he liked to use guys like that that would be over in vegas um jyd was there <laughs> never see i don't answer my door anyway let me see it on the phone jyd was there and i don't know cactus jack Godfather, of course. Um, shut up! <laughs> Whoa! Oh, there we did go. You see that? I did see that. <laughs> we just dark. Well, yeah. So it just lagged for me. Wow. I didn't hey. see the dark. 
so this uh, promoter would um, put us in hotel rooms together. So that's how far back, you know, in the career it was. And sometimes I would uh, room with the Iron Sheik. And I lived in Augusta. I would fly to Atlanta. And then uh, I would see the Iron Sheik there. And then we would both fly from Atlanta to Las Vegas. And so um, I, I remember one of the first times that I traveled with them, um, we were already uh, – Somehow we had already gone through security or whatever, and he and he was telling me that he had smoke, you know, wanted me to, <laughs> to roll something. <laughs> and um, and I didn't I didn't know how to roll back then. And I was oh, just, really? And, and I was yeah, I was what 24, 25, 26, whatever, 26, I think. And I was just like, I I don't want to waste your weed. He's like, No, it's okay. And he was guaranteeing me I'd do better than him. And um and it was a big pregnant, you know, joint and, you know, in the middle. And I was spilled half of his weed doing it. But uh, we we did the um, the NWC wrestling promotion. And then um, we roomed together. And on the day that we had to go to the airport, uh, first off, traveling with him, I, I've got all the same stories as everybody else. He would try to use his photos as, as currency. And so, <laughs> and so he would be offended if you try and whip out your money. And uh, he did it at drive-thrus. He did it at nice restaurants. He did it at strip clubs. Uh, whenever a bill comes, if we whip out our wallet, he would actually get mad, get mad at us and tell us to, you know, put it away. And, um, and then he would ask to speak to the manager and he would go through this this spiel, you know, where he pulled out his pictures and he would uh, say, you know, uh, this is me and uh, Cindy Lauper, you know, and uh, this is me and uh, the Jabroni Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> and he'd say, you know, he'd ask, like, whose neck is bigger? You know, and his neck looked way bigger in the photo. Yeah. And then there was the one of him and Hulk Hogan, you know, and he would like, and the managers would look at it like, oh, okay, why are you showing me this kind of, you know, like, oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, okay, yeah, I remember, are you sure? And then he'd say, which one you want? Oh, uh, that that one, you know. And then he was okay, and, and then he'd say, uh, maybe you take uh, maybe you take care of our bill. And, uh, oh, jeez, you know, they, I, I, I can't do that. You know, 50% off, okay, you know, the American charity. That was, that was his deal, and he did it everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> and we were at the gate at the airport, um, and uh, I saw him hustling uh, some guys that just in, right there at the um, in the seats, you know, waiting to get on the airplane. And, and and then you know when he goes to sign it to him, and then and then starts to charge the guy. The guy's like, "What? I told you I'm down to my last seventy five cents." He goes, this is all I got. I lost all my money. And then, you know, Iron Sheik, of course, takes it from his hand. It's okay. Anything helps our charity. You know, American charity. It was like, you cocksucker. You're going to take my last 75 cents? You're the world champion. And uh, that, was, <laughs> that was pretty funny. But before oh, we left for the airport, he wanted to get there earlier than me. I was running late, laying out by the pool or something, and uh, came in packed my bags uh and when i went to leave the room he had signed an eight by ten and left it on the dresser oh shit uh, on the dresser gimmick and uh and he signed it to made iron chic oh my god are you serious yeah yeah <laughs> uh, 
Now, how often was the success rate with that? Would he just constantly always, do it and then just always. They would, they, would, they would at least say, okay, I guess I can do 10% off. Yeah, 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 get something like that. So It was embarrassing sometimes, you know, but um, whatever, you know. And I was young and gave him the respect, you know, when he would say, he'd get mad and we'd go, we'd go, no, I got this one. And he would, he'd just give you this look. You're like, let me do my fucking thing, bro. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, uh, what... As far as the name thing goes, he was the Iron Sheik, and then the original Sheik was, you know, uh, your guy. Was there any, like, kind of, like, did somebody make that delineation that, like, hey, so, how did So, that I mean, I have, I have the story that I was told by the original Sheik. Yeah, yeah. That he said that cause um, Iron Sheik copied him. Okay. He said he was the first one to have the curly-toed boots, and he said that he helped uh, the Iron Sheik out when he was helping him uh, uh, get work and stuff. And he said that Iron Sheik uh, took his gimmick. And um, that's what he used to tell us back back in the training days. So. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I was always curious about that, how that all kind of laid out there. Um, yeah. This kind of leads into my next question. It's a follow-up from last week. You mentioned, too, like when you started off with Sabu and everything, you initially were sparked by going to Killer Kowalski's school. Like, what kind of gave you that incentive to do to maybe go there instead of working with the Sheik at first? Like, what was the reasoning that you were going to make that trip over to uh, Massachusetts? Right, right? Is that what right? Doing? Right. Okay. So, you know, I had gotten the list of all these pro wrestling schools that I uh, ordered from a wrestling magazine. I sent them five bucks. They sent me this list, and there was. 40 some schools and then i think there might have been one in hawaii a couple of canada um and there was some phone numbers and there was some addresses so i was corresponding to the ones that had the addresses and i would call and i was going through the whole list while i was still in high school because i was going to be a pro wrestler <laughs> yeah and it was um when i was still 18 had graduated high school I talked to a bunch of them, you know, and when I talked to Kowalski, he just, he sounded like, like some of the things that were important to me when I was looking at wrestling schools were one, the, uh, the tuition was important, you know, cause there was a huge difference between uh, two grand and 10 grand. You know what I mean? Right. Um, the credibility, you know, of the trainer, who, who is he trained? How long has he been around? What's he done in the business? And um, and another thing that was important, you know, was how long would the school take, which I learned was totally going to depend on the individual. The person, yeah. it, that was the one thing I didn't like about Kowalski when I asked him. Uh, well, well, anyway, I ended up taking a trip to go see Kowalski, bought a plane ticket first, you know, time going by myself anywhere, flying to Boston and. Uh, and it was all arranged. Kowalski picked me up from the airport. He was so cool. Took me to his school. He was training me and stuff. And I asked him, how long, uh, you know, does your school take, you know, till, uh, to, to, till the course is done? And, and he said, he said, you're never done. He said, you're always learning. And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound very good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he said, some of these schools say they, they, they train you and they're out in six months. He said, you don't even know how to tie your boots in six months. And I remember I was like, wow, that, you know, that's the one thing I don't like about it. But I got to see him work out with uh, the class and uh, and 
learn about him, you know, all the pictures on the wall and the history of him, all that. It, it just, it was something I could imagine me doing. So I was going to come back and get a job somewhere and get an apartment somewhere, even though I'd never done that before. Uh, but that was my plan to, to make it work. So uh, as luck would have it, I was saving up for that. When I found out that the uh, original Sheik only lived 45 minutes from my parents' house where I was residing and that he, I eventually learned eventually that he and Kyle Kowalski both got trained by the same guy who was Burt Ruby. So that was interesting that it, that it trickled, trickled down to me that way. Yeah. How about that? And you may even just making the trip was just like uh further motivation. I'm sure like to be like, Hey, this is what the fuck I want to do. You know? Yeah. It was, yeah. I was like, I got to show my mom and dad I'm serious about this. Otherwise they're going to want me to go to college or join the army or some, something, you know? And uh, so let me go check it out and start this thing and uh, you know, see how it, see how it does for me. Now, was there any uh, thought to you going up to the Heart Dungeon in Calgary? Yeah, they had a four-month a four month training um, machine, if you could call it that, because I don't even know if you could call it a school, a training camp. But it was like a four-month, and, they, and, and, and they were saying they'd get you in and out. And I liked the thoughts of that because I wanted to get out there and wrestle. And I thought, wow, this place could – I could learn enough from there to be ready in that amount of time, which now sounds ridiculous. Um, but I, I thought about it. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I think, I think their school was like four grand. And um, I think Kowalski's was maybe three grand. I could be off on that. And uh, with the Sheik, it ended up being like, like two grand, which oh, I don't man. think I ever officially – made the last payments on um but they were all around there so that that was one thing about the Hart brothers was that it was like double the double the price yeah and that, i mean that's just a lot too especially you know even more so back in those days too geez for four weeks so that's like a grand a week i didn't have that kind of money no hell no <laughs> jeez well cool uh so news folks we uh whacked the guest the gangster segment it's it's out so, but we got some new stuff going. Our producer Chris helped oh, yeah. us out, so um, we're gonna be doing a trying a new thing out, kind of like a wrestler spotlight, almost kind of what we indicated earlier on. But uh, we're gonna start off uh, with uh, somebody that Rob's very familiar with, Mr. Paul Heyman. So, uh, Rob, what we have here in the notes is uh, we'll be talking about Paul for a lot here, in w like I'm sure throughout the show. But we're gonna stick to the ECW days and stuff like that. So, when did you first kind of meet Paul Heyman? Well, I remember talking to him on the phone after Sabu had been trying to hook us up for a long time. Sabu was trying to hook me up with ECW. I was wrestling for All Japan Pro Wrestling, and what they were paying me was enough to where I could really pick and choose even way back then, 96, 95. Um so I would just do the independence, whatever was right for me. But Sabu would say, um, you know, we got to bring you in. You know, you're going to do really good in ECW and all right, whatever. And then, you know, he would, he, I wouldn't talk to him for a while. And then he would, he'd be like, hey, did Paul call you? And I'd be like, no. 
said, what? That mother, he said he was going to call you. And, and I, no. And he'd be like, damn, hold on. I'll call you back. And then, you know, a week would go by, two weeks, and uh, same thing. He would be like, you know, did, did Paul call you? Are you serious? He told me he was going to call you. And I really didn't care. Yeah, I yeah. Was, Whatever, Sabu, you know. And then eventually, um, Paul and I talked about me coming in. And uh, the first talk that we had didn't even work out. You know, Paul wanted to, uh, me to work with Mikey Whipwreck. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like um, what he had in mind. I didn't like the pay that he had in mind. And I was just like, you know, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to pass. You know, that's that's not <clears throat> that's not how I do. And then uh, so then when I talked to Sabu, <laughs> he was really mad. He's like, what? He told you what? <laughs> yeah. like, and then Sabu insisted that he bring me in. Right. And um, and then, you know, I met Paul the first time that I was at that first ECW show. OK. All right. Cool. Um, did you happen to see him, his work like with WCW or run in cross paths with him when you were like had your cup of coffee there kind of thing or anything? No, no. I had seen him in the wrestling magazines, you know, so I knew I knew Polly dangerously or, or whatever with the phone just from the pictures in the magazines mostly, because back then that's how we were introduced to wrestling that wasn't on our television. This was way before the internet, the uh, wrestling magazines, there was several that would come out every month mm -hmm. and we'd wait for them and they would have the wrestlers we knew and they would have the wrestlers down South and they would have wrestlers from uh, Oregon and from Canada and from Florida. And, and so that was the only way to keep up with everybody. And so I didn't know much about him, but I, I knew that he was a, a manager of some tag teams. Now, when you met him first in person, like physically and stuff like that, it was kind of like your first impression of him. And did it stay that way or did it change? <laughs> I, I don't remember the actual first encounter mm -hmm. of meeting him. I I think he was, um, you know, overly gratuitous, like, like he is, you know, welcoming me there um, and uh, – and telling me, you know, that it's going to be great, and and and, but I don't, I don't remember the actual uh, specifics of it. The first, oh yeah, no, yeah, that's all. When you meet that many people, it's kind of tough. <laughs> yeah, and, and like mostly, Sabu was almost holding my hand, carrying me around the dressing room. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Like he was, I was in Sabu's clique, and that made. That, that was all I needed. You know, that was my purpose in the industry, you know, perspectively. So definitely my purpose in the company. So my ego took that is saying, okay, me and Sabu and whoever else Sabu chooses is going to be on our own elite level anyway. You know, so all these scrubs uh, below us, you know, it's like, hey, yeah, good to meet you. Uh, see you around. I'm going upstairs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got the connect, baby. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Sabu was always telling me that, you know, since the first day and before that, he was saying, you know, most of these guys, they don't get booked in other places like you and I do. They don't go to Japan and this and that. Most of them, they just work around here. So they think they're better than they are. Uh, but the crowd likes them and this and that. And so he said that from the beginning. And then that was the filter placed on everybody, you know. So then there's these guys over here. They think they're really good. They're all right. 
there's these guys over here. And I, I remember Sabu pointing everybody out to me that way. So I always had that perspective of the, the, the pecking order, especially after I had my first match and everybody afterwards, uh, not my first match, my first match was Sabu, I guess. Uh -huh. And then walked back and everybody was standing and clapping and I didn't know what, I didn't understand. You know, I was like, what are they doing? Like, that was weird to me. <laughs> I seriously didn't get it. I, I, and Sabu said, oh, they're, they're doing that because they love their match. They, they That was like way better than anything they've ever seen here. Uh, it's, you know, you and I do that stuff all the time, but they're not used to it. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that, was the, that was the tutelage that I had. I can imagine it almost being like, you know, you know, when they do those high school movies and like the new kid comes into the school and like, they're like, okay, those are there are the geeks over there. Those are the, the jocks. <laughs> this is like, this one. <laughs> Sebu's laying it out all for you. Right. Those are, that's the Coke click. That's the, that's the pot click. Over there. Uh, all right. Yeah. So yeah, on your de debut, you, you defeated Axel Rotten. Uh, do you have any good memories about that first night being there or anything like that? Um, I remember really trying, I mean, I was intimidated by the, the style, by the arena, by the crowd. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a big task to handle, to, to, to be ballsy enough to go there in front of that crowd and, you know, with my ponytail and electric tape taped wrists and say, you know, I'm a martial arts master. L look at this and, and be amazed, you know, and it was, <laughs> I mean, that's how I felt. It was, I was, uh, and I remember like at the beginning of the match, I did this like a uh, round off and then like a jumping spinning uh, round off, like an inward crescent kick just to warm up something I used to do to show off before my match. And Axel was like, Oh, sarcastically clapping and i was yeah. like oh it's like that huh <laughs> like that really set in and i was like wow he's shooting <laughs> yeah so yeah so you know that 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 crowd was so opinionated you know and they, and they just and they loved axel so that was intimidating because i was used to being the the baby face that everybody would cheer for um and, and so yeah i had to really change my game up so before that first match I was making a list of moves, thinking of what I could do with a chair. You know, maybe I could throw the chair up and then, like, do a jumping, spinning back kick and kick the chair into someone's face. I'm going to try that. And I'd, like, write it down and uh, just, like, a bunch of other moves. And, you know, he had the baseball uh, bat that was wrapped in barbed wire. So I was like, what's he going to do with that? Yeah. You know, well, what's, what's going on there? And, um, it, you know, afterwards, I don't think I really knew – if I got over or not, really, from what I remember, you know, it definitely wasn't like, like, I nailed it. I got a job for life here. Right, right. <laughs> I didn't feel like that at all. No, and it's like with an e a crowd like an ECW, like Philly crowd, too, you're just like, okay, it's going to take a little bit of fucking work. That's all in hindsight, but I mean, it's like, oh my God. No, Thinking of the match, I quickly trimmed some of the stuff out that worked in other promotions, like the karate chop on the top of the head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, some of the, some of that stuff that would, uh, might get over in, uh, Hazelhurst, Georgia. 
Uh, right, but maybe not. Not in maybe, South Philadelphia. <laughs> trim that out and throw some stiff kicks in instead. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right, so let's fast forward to 1997 mm. and the birth of Mr. Monday Night. Uh, yeah, what? How? How was that all kind of laid out for you? Who came up with the whole Monday night kind of gimmick for you? Well, it had to do with the ECW having their first pay-per-view, Barely Legal. Mm-hmm. Yep. In 97 and not having RVD booked. Uh, so I was offended. I'd been there, I don't know, a little over a year, I guess. And I'd had Sabu telling me that he and I are the best there long enough to where I believed it. And so I was thinking, you know, this is, this is wrong. You know, I've walked out of already. I walked out of places because I felt that, you know, I walked out of South Atlantic in 92 because they didn't have me booked on all the shows there and they weren't doing much. They weren't drawing. I was only getting 50 bucks a night and I'm not even on every, every show. And I'm the one from out of town and these other guys are local. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to go home and see what else comes up. I left WCW in 93. Same reason. I didn't like, you know, what was going on. Wasn't making that much money. Uh, so, you know, here I am. Um, and, 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 I forgot what the oh oh <laughs> we're done we're in ninety seven all right so then I they don't have me in the pay per view and I'm thinking you know I, I I had around that time maybe slightly before or maybe it was during this it was right around that time I went to a WCW show that was in the town where I lived in uh, Savannah Georgia at the time and I uh, went to see Scotty Riggs maybe Louis Spicoli might have been there too I think I think he was part of NWO. Some of my friends and Eric Bischoff um, stepped aside with me and personally offered me a job. So somehow that got out online instantly. And then the industry knew that I was going to be leaving ACW for WCW because that's what you do. Sure, that's, yeah. what everybody, that's what everyone does. They use it as a stepping ground to get up to more exposure, more money. A bigger job so everyone knew that's where i was gonna go and then i'm not on the pay-per-view anyway so it doesn't seem like paul's you know offering me much to to get me to stick around so you know uh i better see what's going on here so paul brought me in and we had a uh, big meeting where paul said is there anything i can do to make you want to stay and so you know that's uh not a bad way to start negotiations, especially since I really didn't want to go. I really didn't. I really didn't. I love the ECW style. It was uh, my favorite and the most fun that I'd had. And I appreciated very much how my efforts were making a difference, not just in ECW, but then also, you know, in a, in a, I don't know, in a, in a, outer wave the whole industry because everyone's watching ECW. Yeah, right. right. Uh-huh. And they're all influenced by it. And the company's growing so much right now. Like we're hot and the crowds are doubling. And it's like, man, I, I really would rather stay there and be the whole effing show than be a um, a cog in the wheel, so to speak. And so Paul and I worked it out. You know, and he put me on a um, put me on a guarantee. Uh, 
I had favorite nations, which I've heard a few of us did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've heard recently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he also had the idea, you know, everyone thinks you're going to go to WCW. What if you, uh, what if you went out there and said, yeah, I belong on Monday nights where all the big stars are. You can expect to see me there. But what, what if we throw them a swerve and get you on Monday night? He always had that look like, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, Paul, what do you, what do you mean? I'm, I'm wrong. Like, how are you going to do that? And he's, he said, let's just say, Vince owes me some favors. If I could do that, if I could put you on Raw, and just just for a few weeks, just long enough to uh, however long the angle lasts, and you would be on on Monday Night Raw, and you would be on ECW here, and you would be in the spotlight. The business would be around you. You'd be the center point. Plus all the money and shit. And that's how we worked it out. You know, I was like, you really can do that. You know, I, I had no idea about his relationship. None of us did with WWE. We didn't know that he was working for them. I sure didn't know that he was selling me to them without me knowing, right. which ended up being the case. Although he told me and Sabu and Dreamer and everyone who eventually became a part of this invasion angle told us all you know, they don't want us here, you know, watch your bag. Don't, don't leave anything uh, unattended and watch your back at any time. Something don't smell right. Boom. Mention it. We're out of here. And he had us like that on our toes the whole time. And I had no idea. Vince thought that I was already transferring over and working with him. He thought wow. that he'd invested four or five weeks into uh, this new signee they ended up quitting and leaving because Paul set me up to sabotage myself and to burn a bridge. And it worked great. It worked great, but it also worked great for me. Yeah. Yeah. You got the spotlight and all that stuff was yeah. now, do you think, uh, so was when he made that pitch to you and everything, was that added? I mean, obviously it was added incentive, but was that a big piece to the puzzle of being like, okay, I will reset with ECW instead of going with Eric and, and WC? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, you know, I wasn't, my mind was definitely not made up that mm -hmm. I was going to go to WCW. I was having the, it's, it's funny, we just talked about this on Disco and uh, Conan. Oh, did you? Nice. Yeah. Um, during this time, so, so Bischoff made the agree, you know, the offer to me, man to man. Face to face, he talked about you know three year escalating pay, boom, boom, boom. DDP followed up and he would call me, Diamond Dallas Page, and say, "Yo, Rob, Eric's got these hot ideas. This is going to be insane, bro. You got to be part of this." And he was telling me, "My Paul Heyman and my DDP sound a lot alike." Uh, they're pretty damn good though. <laughs> I'm like, when you're doing, no, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, bro, you got to get on this and. <laughs> <laughs> and he was saying that um, Eric is going to make these Mortal Kombat characters and put a lot into it and you need to call him. And, and I would just say, okay, whatever. Just like when Sabu said, did Paul call you? And I would say, no. Same thing. A couple of weeks ago by DDP would call me bro. and he would say, yeah. And he would say, did you talk to Eric? And I was like, no, it's a bro. Give him a call. Like, oh, <laughs> 
couple of weeks to go by. DDP would say, bro, did you call Eric? And I'd say, no. And he'd say, bro, what? I told him you were going to call him. Like, what? What? Do you not want to do this? And then finally, uh, you know, because he's like, they're going to put a lot of money into this. It's going to be changing the lights. You know, you know there's going to be a bunch of characters, like, right out of the video game. And he's like, do you not want to do this? And then finally, you know, he asked me how I felt about it. And I was upfront enough to be like, uh, I don't think I'm really feeling wearing a mask, you know, and being a character. I kind of got, you know, kind of got uh, several years invested into this RVD guy, you know. Yeah. He's like, bro, why didn't you tell me? You wasted all this time. And I was, you know, I don't know. But that's what happened. And then uh, I wasn't near, anywhere near uh, sure that I was going to go to WCW. I was definitely on the fence. And then Paul said, bro, you can, not only can you go to ECW, but we're going to start fucking paying you on a guarantee, taking care of you, uh, giving you opportunity to make more, which didn't happen with the pay-per-views and the royalties on the T-shirts and stuff. That was the part that didn't happen, but they were uh, paying me, though, so I wasn't, you know, suffering and um also of course you know the whole thing with jumping the fence and being on wwe's television without having to compromise who i was boom i mean yeah that that sealed the deal right there like you're you're really going to be able to do that i'm going to be able to be myself and go there and say hey i'm ecw rvd mr monday night it happened yeah yeah and it, yeah you got that main spotlight and you didn't have to be like a uh, like parody of Scorpion or nothing like that. When it comes, to <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it was uh, allegedly it was going to be Glacier, but Bischoff now. Um, so you wait, you were going to be the. I was going to ask, were you going to be? That's Glacier? that's what that's what DDP told me. You know, okay. when Glacier, um, what's his name? Um, uh, Ray? Is it Ray? Yeah. Uh, anyway, Ray Lloyd? Ray Lloyd? No, something Lloyd. That yeah. sounds right. Is it Ray Lloyd? That's off the top of my head. He's a nice guy. I met him a couple Sounds times. right. <laughs> nice guy. Yeah. When he came out, I was still talking to DDP. I had we hadn't settled the matter yet because he was because that was like after he'd been talking for seven weeks, he was like, Did you see it? They already launched the first one. There's gonna be a whole bunch of them. And and that was still that was when I was, uh, you know, I'm good. So um that was that was during that time. But um Eric Bischoff recently well, a year or two ago, I saw him in an interview respond to that situation, and he was like, what? Rob Van Dam was going to be um, Glacier? Where did this come from? And he had, he had no idea. So when I saw him, I brought it up. Yeah. You know, and it was like, it must have just been DDP in the middle. They got that, um, you know, they got that uh, confusion because that's definitely where I got all my info from. DDP and he acted like he was talking to Eric every day, like he was sitting with him at his desk or something. So, um, so I don't, I, I don't know how, how far up the plans went for that to happen in the, in the big picture, you know, <laughs> the wires got <laughs> crossed, but man, making all the facts in, man, now we're going to get a whole bunch of fan fiction of you in a mortal combat. <laughs> Maybe it would have been fun, you know, but I, you know, at the same time, Paul was having these talks with me about trying to get me to stay. Right, right. And so I was like, yeah, that's some pretty good talk. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
well, so did Paul when he like you guys were working together with with WAF and stuff like that. Did he do any like agent type kind of work or how hands on was he like behind the scenes with WAF at the time, if at all? So basically, it was a continuation of his agenda to just let us sabotage our chances of working there. It was pretty much like he'd be there and then you kind of wouldn't see him, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, When I had the blow up at the very end, when I actually uh, quit and pulled us out, Mm -hmm. that was the first time that I'd actually had a face-to-face meeting with Vince. And I was telling him like, what, uh, how, what is this doing for ECW if we go this route and we're on your TV saying what? That we're inferior to you? That's not why I'm here. And he was like, well, Rob, obviously I wouldn't have uh, had you on my TV unless I saw you uh, staying here and uh, being one of my uh, one of my um, talents. I, I see you as a baby face, an aggressive baby face. But in the long run, I was just like, what? And I'm turning to look at Paul, and he's like, as far away as you can be by still being in the same room. Yeah. <laughs> He's over in the He's corner. Like, slowly hiding yeah. behind the door like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see the wedding singer with John Lovitz and he's like slow the curtain slowly <laughs> That's, kind of, how, that's <laughs> kind of how it was, you know. Yeah. And then when I was like, Paul, oh, this doesn't seem right. You want to go? Let's go. We're, let's go. You know, and he's just ready to go instead of trying to work anything out or explain anything. You know, oh, yeah. Man. So now, did that meaning that was that all around Road Dog and the Roadie and stuff like that? Was that around that? I don't think the road. I don't know if he was the Roadie yet. Maybe he was, but yeah, it was. Uh, it was about the Road Dog um, and about me working with him. And you know, I'd been there beating some of the WWE wrestlers, which was unheard of. A guy right, from another yeah. company coming in, beating Two Cold Scorpio, beating uh, Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy, yeah. The, and the headbangers, and then um, then the headbangers. I think maybe they got we there's a disqualification or something. And all of a sudden, I realized, okay, that's twice me and Lawler have worked with the headbangers. I, I don't know what they're doing with me because I, I guess I usually had an idea what they were doing with me, and that was the first time where I was like, I don't get it. Now me and Lawler gonna be a tag team, you know? Like me and Sabu should be a tag team, you know? And like I I was confused about it. And then now I'm a single wrestler, but I'm wrestling against Road Dog. And then, you know, somehow I'm going under. I don't even remember what it was. It was probably headbangers were probably going to do something to lead into them in an angle. I I don't know. I'm thinking that now. But at the time, I was so confused. And I was like, this is what Paul was talking about. You know, (laughs) they're, you know, we're, 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 we're trying to walk across this bridge and they're untying it on the other end. We got to run back right now. And boom, that's what we did. Oh, man. So when did it kind of dawn on you that like this was all like kind of according to Paul's plan and everything like that? Was there a certain moment where you'd be like, what the fuck? This is and it all like kind of clicked for you. Like this is years later, years, years later. later. Holy shit. Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even know. But I, I, I think it was after 2001, 2002, after I went to WWE and was the first ECW version during the Alliance. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. It wasn't before that. Okay. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, obviously, the TV title got put on you and everything like that. How did your relationship kind when of? You got put on TV title. Got put on. You got the W. You got the W. You picked it up. Yeah. 
<laughs> you took out Bam Bam. Uh, how did that relationship change with you with Paul at that time and everything? Was it anything? Oh, he loved me. He loved me and everything that I was doing. It was sounding genuine to say he had dollar signs in his eyes. It wasn't, it wasn't like I felt like that, but I, I was very much encouraged. I was always, um, backed up and 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 he was always you know like hey business is great you're doing great every match that i had was you know he was was arguably <laughs> the best match on the card regardless of who i wrestled against and that was my goal that's what i wanted but obviously that's subjective but um uh it was we were growing the gate was growing you know the and then you know it was like boom we're getting action figures we're getting you know the magazine whatever order that was in we're getting national tv we're getting pay-per-view whatever like everything kept going and and and, and even we were going to get on a real channel at the end there until finally it just like boom you know ended up uh not happening in the biggest way but during that time that was the most fun i've had in my career where week by week I was trying to outdo myself, trying to find a way to outdo my my last stunt by making it more extreme, learning a lot more, um, obviously, just through experience. I mean, when I went there in 96, I'd only been in the business six or seven years, so it's not like I was even a 10-year vet yet. You know, I learned uh, how to put everything together uh, there, there, and in Japan. Man, yeah. It, well, too, we mentioned this earlier. <laughs> mentioned this last <laughs> we mentioned this last week is about uh you kind of feeling the confidence and getting the confidence around the time with uh wrestlepalooza and this was a little like 98 and stuff like that at this time too when you were starting the tv championship reign like how much kind of and you were talking about this too like a lot of the creative freedom that you would have did paul give you pretty much a, a good amount of carte blanche creatively to do what you wanted in matches and kind of tell the story that how you wanted to yeah he did he did. Um, he did. And even like in WWE, a lot of times that would be the case. You know, like if Arn Anderson was my agent, he would just come up and, and say, hey, man, it, it's you and uh, you and Road Dog tonight. You got um, six minutes. We're going to start with him in the ring. It includes your entrance. So you really only got like five minutes. You know, they were talking about – They'd like to see a frog splash. You know, is there, you got any ideas? You got anything I need to know about? And that would, that would usually be it anyway. And that's kind of comes with respect. Yeah. Right? Trust too. Yeah. All that stuff. And then usually you'd be like, no, I'm not, you know, are you going to do anything crazy outside? Do I need to warn the camera guys or anything? Like, no, all good. Um, and, and, and I learned um, to have that freedom and to deserve it, you know, with, with ECW, like just setting up the matches with Sabu under his tutelage. And Sabu was like the God there before me, you know, like him and Taz uh, were building up this thing where they didn't touch each other, uh, but they were teasing it and it was boom. It was just growing and growing, growing. And that was what they had uh, before I got there. And so those are two, two of the top guys. And then when I started wrestling uh, Sabu, um, you know, I felt like right into that equation. So, um, there, there was always, uh, there was always a, a feeling that what we were doing was going to be right. If we had any questions I could ask, you know, I don't know if I ever did, but I'm sure I could have said, Hey, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, like, um, 
you know, is it cool if we go up the bleachers and go? I don't know. I really don't remember ever asking uh, if something made sense or what order. But if Paul had any ideas, then then uh, then he would pitch him. But I don't even remember that. Yeah, but he probably, yeah, he probably did though. But that had to be just like a like you were saying, just a great environment to kind of grow and develop and and do what you want and kind of like make your own persona and develop your own persona who you were, you know, as RVD and everything. So it definitely cultivated for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really was looking back, you know, I always probably thought that I knew more than, than I did probably, you know, just like outside of the ring too. You know, I always say this, that's part of growing. If you look yeah. back, you look back at yourself, if you don't cringe, you probably didn't grow. And that's, right. <laughs> that's in and out of the ring. Um, so, so when I look back to it, sometimes I watch matches and I'm like, dude, I didn't sell anything. Like <laughs> and, and, and now, unfortunately, that's the way everybody now wrestling watched that and learned from that. So now they don't sell anything, you know, and it's like they didn't have any hands on. They just watched it and then uh, and then took after. And so I see a lot of that. Uh, I'll call it um, flawed, flawed material, bleed over. <laughs> bleed over into the current product <laughs> the current product <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> well uh, so from a professional standpoint when did things start kind of changing for you and paul did that change like from a personal for you guys too or was that kind of one and the same for you at what point um just as things kind of developed on like uh, later on as as things start, started changing for you in ecw when you became like established as like this long reigning champion and uh kind of developing into the top star of ECW, the face of ECW. Just like any relationship. Yeah. The more I knew him, the more we became friends, uh, the more trust that I felt like he had in me and the more belief that I felt like he had in me. You know, I told you before, I, I heard that a few of us had uh, favorite nations, which to people that don't know what that means, that means that, no one's getting paid more than you. And if they bring in someone like Sid Vicious and pay him a bunch of money, they got to pay you they a bunch of money. They got to pay you that much. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Paul treated us all like that. You know, one example that comes to mind was we're at the, he was manipulative, you know, and, and I didn't see it as much then. Sabu saw it. And then the more Sabu would explain it to me and I would see it. I kind of appreciated it. Like, I thought it was funny. Yeah, you know? sure. No, I get it, that. It, it didn't make me not like him, you yeah. know, except for, like, when he starved Sabu out. That was kind of bad. And that was between them two. But besides that, I, I kind of thought it was funny because sometimes he doesn't know. Sometimes Paul would have make a choice, like, should I sell this really dramatically or not? You know, if I, if I say something, I can say something like, Paul, you know, um, that – you know that guy came over to my house and he still bothered me. And then Paul's got to make decisions. Are you serious? <laughs> I'd be like, and I'd be like, not the right choice. Like, okay, Paul, calm down. I'd be like, you know, you could have sold that way less. I'm not yeah, that, not that big of a deal. Not that serious. But he didn't know how I was feeling about it. You know, sure, yeah, yeah, so he yeah. Tests you to see how you're feeling about it off of his reaction, and then he goes with that. And and I and I've just learned that about him. I remember one time in Boston at the Greyhound dog track in Revere. That was a cool place to smoke. Um, and, and, and we, we hung out on the bleachers, like watching the dogs run and stuff. Yeah, It was cool. And uh, we had a meeting on the bleachers, but before that we were in our smoking room. God damn it. Third time's a charm though. 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit doing that. That's I keep right. setting it. I set it on a coffee mug because I want it to be a little higher. It's Dude, not. You're just, like, you're just like me. That's what I do when I watch YouTube on my. On my thank phone. God the coffee mug's empty. Okay. Paul anyway says to us, meaning me and Sabu. I don't think there was. I mean, we had like Bobby Duncan Jr. was in our clique, Pee Wee, but he was talking to us and he said. Um, I'm going to call a meeting in about 10 minutes. I'm going to say everybody needs to be there. You two don't need to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's just setting you up, you know, to, to, for people to be talking crap about you, you know, sure, absolutely. Okay, we're, we're Sabu and uh, our video, they don't need to be here. And then I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure Paul will be like, I don't know. Has anyone seen I told them to be here. <laughs> yeah, probably. Has anyone seen RVD or Sabu? He like makes a moment to tell everybody that. Has anybody yeah. seen Rob and Sabu? That's, that's probably what he was doing. Why we were like, yeah. okay, cool, we'll keep smoking. Yeah. <laughs> he was. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I, I just, you know, like I say, except for when him and Sabu had a falling out, it was business, and then like uh, he was banned. Like Paul would contact the other shows that Sabu was booked at and say, Hey, you can't use him. He's under contract. And it was like, he was starving him out. Like he couldn't work anywhere and Paul wasn't paying him. And that wasn't cool. You know, that was a really uncomfortable moment where I was trying to grasp uh, the situation enough to know, like, what can I do about this? If anything, right. Because Sabu was his top guy. And now he's in um, solitary confinement and I'm the top guy, you know, and it's, and it's like, hey, hold on, you know, like, should I be making some demands or should I, you know, what's going on here? And it was, you know, it was, it was a rough time. But besides that, I always thought Paul, Paul's shenanigans <laughs> were funny. No, I, and yeah. And to your point, it's like, that's kind of endearing in a lot of ways when, it, when you have a personality like that, where you're <laughs> like, all right, I get what you're up to, but I kind of respect it in a lot of ways. <laughs> so uh, he did owe you some money, but when did that kind of really start to add up and did you decide to leave? Was that kind of a big decision for you to leave ECW in a lot of ways too? Was it was, but it was mostly like the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, yeah. everyone else wasn't getting paid. I still was, uh, but I wasn't getting paid for the shirts and the royalties, and that was adding up. And when it added up to a certain amount, where I was timing everything with like one i'm probably not going to ever get paid this amount the more i'm here i'm just digging a deeper and deeper hole even though i'm able to do it because i'm still getting paid to wrestle it was it just it, eventually it was like this isn't really the best the best business you know and, and it was i was off balance i got one foot in a hole and one foot, you know, standing on a pot of gold, you know, it's like, one of us, I can't, I can't, I can't stand this way. So, but it was the timing of that with the company going under the TV deals, not working out a bunch of lies or mistruths coming to surface and just everything looking like telling me it was just, you know, the universe has ways of uh, messaging me and signaling me. And it was more than one thing. It was everything saying, dude, they're done. Jump off or or go down with the sinking ship. They might have one more show. I think they had one more show. I'm confused about that. But I think they did, if I remember correctly. I think. Someone said St. Louis, uh, maybe. I don't maybe. know. Yeah, I can't. I don't know that. But 
Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> no, that's the thing. A lot of the ways you, you can kind of see the lay of the land and be like, and you get that feeling too. You're like, all right, it's time for me to kind of move on. You like know? I said, I've left every company. It's weird. I thought about that recently. I was doing an RV Theology episode and I was talking about drawing the line. You know, when do you draw the line? And I was like, damn. And I think about it. It's like I left, yeah, I left South Atlantic. I left WCW. I left uh, ECW, I left WCW, I left WWE. Uh, wow. Arguably, even the last run I had with WWE, because in 2014, my second comeback, which was horrible, my second time making a comeback there, you know, they, they were doing nothing with me. No, and I, I it, at, the, at the very end, I said, you know, I had said, I could hit a couple more shows on top of what we agreed upon because they were it was a California run. And I got to a point when I finally had a meeting, which maybe arguably I could have done that earlier instead of waiting till the end and then blowing up and bitching about it. But I did say, you know, forget about those last shows too. Let's just call it quits right now. This is ridiculous. Um, I don't know if I did those last shows or not, you know. Uh, but besides that, I guess I walked out of pretty much like every – uh, stationary position that I could have been in because the universe was telling me that it's time. And that's, that's something that um, I could probably sit and think of a couple of more times, actually, you know, besides real jobs that I had as well, that I, that I quit because I was like, fuck this, you know? And um, that's, that's something as I've always known when to draw the line, it's one way to look at it, to put a positive spin on being a quitter. <laughs> <laughs> but no, re really, though, it was just, you know, like no regrets. Uh, being in tune with the universe. And, and definitely more so, like way back when I left WCW, I wasn't trying to be spiritual. That was I was a decade away, two decades away from even thinking about that. Yeah, right. My spirit. But, but nonetheless, I always felt like I was guided. And so, you know, that, that coincides with uh, these facts. It definitely does. And it's like, yeah, you get that sense and you'd be like, you know what? This is the time I'm out of here. And I don't even really can. A lot of the ways it's like, do you quit or is it just like what you just said? It's like you're drawing a line and it's time to move on. It's like I'm not, I, I never feel like I'm trapped. And, and I feel like uh, people should adopt that perspective. There's always other choices, you know, and people don't. It's easier to think that you got, no, I only got one choice. Yeah. You know, what yeah. am I going to do? What am I going to do? I only got one choice. No, you got, uh, name name some ridiculous choices. Let's start there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least you got to have imagination to realize there's some things you would never do, but you could. If you think way right outside the box. You right. Know, yeah, yeah, no, that's ridiculous. But hone it in a little bit and you might get a little bit more realistic here. It's like, well, What am I going to do? Quit my job? I got, I got a wife. I got kids. I got these bills. Okay. Could you imagine you could quit your job and work and walk away and never work again, right? You could do that. If you can fathom that, then dial back a little bit. Consider quitting and getting another job, maybe. You know, baby right. step. Yeah. A little out of time here. A little out of time. I, I, people away. feel that way, though. I never feel like there's there's not another option. There's always, always, always other options. You know, you may Absolutely. not like them. They may not be the right ones to do, but I never feel like I'm so trapped that I've only got one choice. Now you only get that. Yeah, absolutely. It's good. It's a great mentality you have. Jeez. RVDology a little earlier. Uh, let's see. Okay. Yeah. Out of all the bookers that you've worked with, do you consider Paul the best? Or uh, where, where does he kind of lay out there for you? Because, I mean, like, he gave you that creative freedom. 
And then you see a lot of the work that he do- does, you know, did in ECW, then what he's been doing too with the bloodline story and stuff. It's just like, you know, he's got a good mind, but where do you kind of rank him? If I, and I don't even necessarily like the ranking kind of thing. I just think it's just like, how, how would you put him in perspective as a booker? Um, I think, yes. I think, you know, that as far as booking goes, in my opinion, opinion, I think he's the best, and that's also because I like his stuff in particular. He got a lot of pushback from the WWE office in 2001 during the alliance. A lot of his ideas got opposed. Same thing when we brought ECW back for the Sci-Fi Network. A lot of his ideas were opposed. There was other bookers in the office that think completely different. They would think it's ridiculous to think Paul's got the best ideas because they thought the exact opposite and tried to stop all of his ideas. But I agree with uh, the with that sentence that he he's the best that that I know of. Um, bookers and promoters can be separated if you want to look at the agenda and look at a booker as somebody that books the angles and the matchups, storylines, whatever. Maybe they book the towns too. I don't know because that's a whole nother, you know, how can I say he's the best at booking the towns? You know what I mean? Right, yeah, yeah. That's different. Um, and, and so now there's a writer besides a booker when you get to the big companies like that. And then, um, and then you know, the promoter, which a lot of times it's the promoter that books the towns and then is responsible for advertising the towns. So there's, there's a lot of different perspectives. Usually what people in the business do, they choose the perspective that works best for them. So <laughs> if, it's a great, if it's a great house and you're in the main event, you know, then you take credit for it. You know, like uh, everyone comes up to you. Hey, thanks for the house. Yeah. Th- yeah. No problem. No sweat. Thank you. Thank you, brother. You know, th- hey, thanks for the house. Um, if it's the cra- if it's the shits and-, and nobody's there, then you blame the promoter. <laughs> and you say, he didn't do anything. He didn't advertise. They didn't even know what the gym four blocks away that we were here at the civic center in town. How could he have done a good job? We gave out the flyers. Nobody put the flyers out. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, anybody, any of those guys could then uh, try to put some heat on the booker and then say, ah, you know, we had some lousy matchups. Nobody wants to see that crap. No one's going to pay and see that. Send me some stars or, you know, I mean, this town is a spoiled town. They have wrestling all the time. And you send me the the C team. There's always, you know, so if you split it up like that and think about it, um, let's say that, that Paul, you know, with the agenda of booking the angles and uh, probably writing, definitely my fave. Yeah. He's hard to argue against, too. <laughs> you know, very hard to argue against. Yeah. All right. So I just wanted to touch upon this next topic here for just a brief moment. But uh, in the news, there has been some uh, UFO sightings, supposedly, in, in your your area of Las Vegas. Um, I Did you see this clip that I'm about to show? I, like, the about the... I think the cops are, they're showing the, the cam from the cops and then they're getting the phone call, the 911 phone call. Did you see all that stuff? Right. And, and yeah, so they play, I've, I heard the 911 call. Okay. Where they're saying there's this, there's these, they're not human. They're, Big they're eyes. like eight feet tall, nine feet, maybe 10 feet tall. And they're looking at me right now in my backyard. And then the cop comes 
And then, uh, and it's, I, I just, man, why, why would nobody film it? You right. know what I mean? Like, right. You got your phone in your hand on 90. You're calling. <laughs> That's the part that I hate about it, you know, because a lot of people claim they saw the light, they saw it go down, uh, maybe crash. And so, yeah, I, I'm very interested in it. And uh, there's a lot of things that I think uh, we're not told about that happen. Yeah, I agree with that 100% because it's just like, yeah, there's like even when here, I'll just play the little bit of the clip here right now. But what happens is like they they blur out part of the person's house, too. And they're like, oh, it's private property and stuff like that. And I don't know. Right. Is. Since when is a yard unshowable? Yeah, when is that the, the thing you can't show here? So let me let me hook this here. I don't want it to be too loud either. So we'll guess that. Whether it was non-humans or not, it certainly scared the people living on this property. Oop. Now, before we show you that video, listen go. to their call for help. There's like an eight-foot person beside it, and another one's inside, and it has big eyes and looking at us, and it's still there. Okay, where is this on your property? Uh, uh, in my backyard. I swear to God, this is not a joke. This is actually yeah. really, so really terrifying. So there's two people or two subjects that are in your backyard? Correct, and they're very large. They're okay. like eight foot. Nine feet, ten foot, I don't know. They're, they, look like, they look like aliens to us. Big eyes, they have big eyes. Okay. Like, like I can't explain it. And big mouth. They're shiny eyes and, and they're not human. They're 100% they're not human. Okay. Doesn't that almost seem that he's being fed lines in a way? Like somebody's like, tell them that they're they're really big, or tell them that they look like this. <laughs> I don't know. It almost feels like that to me. I don't know. Uh, I don't know, man. So somebody, some of his vibe sounds like a legitimate reporting. Like if you're trying to think, like, okay, what else can I tell them? You know, um, uh, and and he has red shoes, um, and. You know, and he had a backpack. He's got a, and you know, it sounds like he's kind of like thinking of what info to be able to give them. Give I, I kind of like that as far as like giving some credibility, but man, why not take a picture of it, record it? And why wouldn't the operator also say, take a picture of it? You got your phone in your hand. You don't yeah, even have to yeah, do something like that, you know? You don't even have to hang up, I don't think. No. Hey, stay on the line. Put us on speaker. Take a picture. Right? Yeah. Do something. Yes. <laughs> Have you well, ever had any weird sightings or anything like that? Um, no. No. I mean, just like anybody, I've looked up in the sky and seen something shoot across it and wondered, you know, like, was that a falling star? Was that a spaceship? Was that... You know, or is that just an airplane? Was that, you know, but that's as close as I can say that I've come to any any extra terrestrial encounters. Terrestrial stuff happening. I like, you know, I certainly believe there's stuff out there for sure, I think. But it's just like, did, would they land here? And on top of that, if they were, if they did land here, wouldn't they be able to land right and not have to be seen? Like if they're that advanced and stuff like that. So who, know. who knows? You, you know, the whole... Area 15 thing is like so compelling. Yeah. That, that it's so top secret that nobody can know what's going on there. And uh, so, of course, everybody thinks there's aliens there. And, and you know what? I believe there's as good of a chance that there is. 
as there isn't. There's right. at least as good of a chance. And uh, why not? You know, why not? Uh, and and I, I've been told <laughs> by, by scientists that was talking all this, what some people think of as crazy talk, talking about time travel, talking about aliens. But he was saying that you, we've never been alone. And that makes sense. I, I watch Ancient Aliens. That makes sense. It looks like we had tools and technology hundreds, thousands of years ago uh, from drawings on, on walls of spaceships and helmets and weapons and rockets. And just there's, there's all kinds of oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, hey, at, least at least I'm consistent. I'm That's always, it. That's all that matters. I think I've always been proud of that. Um and for a lot of other reasons too, you know what I mean? Like when they get to, how can they build the pyramids and make the lines so perfect and even and the pyramids that, that land, you know, geographically making like a, like a travel map from the sky. There's so many, so many things that, that they gave, give you reason to pause and think hmm, maybe, and they talk about the, the whole intelligent age, like, being wiped out and then us starting again. And it seems like we're getting with the stem cells and with, um, uh, uh, bio regulating, um, cell, cell hacking, uh, <laughs> all, all of this, uh, stuff that, that, that we're able to do now, it seems very much like we're just now catching up to maybe half of what we could have known back then right. and what could have, and what could have been this, this, I don't know if I want to use the word species, this race of human life. Like, you know, if you want to combine the, like I was taught as a kid about the creation myth, about Adam and Eve, we weren't taught about evolution until uh, sometime, sometime later. And it was like society like switched and said, okay, forget about what Bible school taught you and what you learned, you know, when you were younger. Okay. Now we were all single cells and then we all just adapted differently. And um, if you, I, I think if you get into it and look at it enough and look at what's offered out there as uh, possibilities of cell regeneration that we're doing now and the theories that, that maybe we had that way back then, um, I think there's a lot, there's a lot to, uh, um, to give potential possibility to at the very least. Uh, yeah. You know, it definitely leaves uh, the mind open to, to thinking about that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why not? I mean, and I've always thought, you know, like, why couldn't God be a being, an alien, something from another planet, something we don't know? You know, like, why? Why did it definitely? Why does it have to be this bearded dude this, <laughs> that we all picture? <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? But, <laughs> yeah, we don't have that. There's the what, conventional image of God, but what, whatever that higher power is could be a lot of different things, and it all sounds alien to me. Right? Yeah, it's alien to everybody, right? <laughs> you know, as far who, as knows? I, who knows? Except the priests. Yeah. They're best friends. They're best friends with God. That's give right. Them, they, they got it down. <laughs> give, them, give them your money and they'll put in a good word for you. That's right. That's right. I got the direct connect right here. Just, uh, you know, hook me up. Uh, all right. So something alien territory. This is my weird segue into this is our random. Uh, how do we, what do we decide on? Rob random match coming up. Not so random this month, this, uh, <laughs> this time around, but uh, John Cena was an alien territory uh, back in uh, June on June eleventh, two thousand six, it is the match. I don't think you've ever really talked about, Rob. <laughs> right? No one's ever brought this Nobody's up. Nobody's ever talked to you about this. 
I think I once forgot this match. Yes. Hopefully you remember. It's One Night Stand. It's 2006. Uh, and it's, hey, 17 years ago, you took on John Cena for this EC, uh, for the WWE title. Uh, does it feel, like I asked you last week, does it feel like 17 years ago for you? Uh, uh, maybe a few less. Maybe a few less. Seems like a long time ago, but I could see, I would believe it probably if you told me it was closer to 10 also if I didn't do the math in my head. Yeah, yeah. I it's, sometimes it's like when you get well, I'm sure when you get more into your career, it kind of like okay, that does seem like ages ago when it's compared to ECW, but now when you're in the thick of like the WWE like Echoscape or you know environment, it might be a little bit like uh things doesn't seem that long ago. It goes um, by fast, you know. The uh the longer you're alive, the more time goes by quickly because you have such a bigger movie reel in your head now, you know, like when you're one hour born, that one hour, that's all you got. You know what I mean? Like that could, uh, the first day could take forever. And then remember when you were a kid, like you go home from school and you didn't think like, Oh my God, I only got three hours till the sun starts going down. And then I only got one hour till my favorite shows on. Like it felt like you could play all day, like all day. Yeah. Go down in the neighborhood, you know, go to other kids' houses. You had all day. And then summer vacation used to feel like it was like four years. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. You come back from summer break and like you were in a different size shoe <laughs> you know, look, look at how some of the kids have changed, you know, a little bit. It's been like so long. And then, yeah, by the time you're 52, years go by like, bam, bam, bam. Goodbye. Like everything happens like so quick because you just got so much more experience to relate it to. I know. I, 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 a lot of the times, too, I would compare it how I looked at wrestling. Like I would look like, hey, OK, 2001 and then you had 98. I was like, wow. So like the NWO was here and now it's not. That seems like an attorney in between. But then you look at like, you know, from now I look at WWE and like yeah, I look at a Kofi Kingston match. Now I'm like, dude, he was here like 12 years ago, too. And it's just crazy to look at yeah. that. And it doesn't feel like that at all. It feels like two years that way. Um, you talk about uh, how you went to Vince initially to do like an ECW pay-per-view. What kind of gave you that idea? Idea Was it the DVD, the success of the DVD that happened or what really prompted No, it was, it was just the undying passion that um, I always had and never dropped, you know, for ECW. Hey. <laughs> I'm always fine with dog runnings. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, the whole time I was there, you know, like the fans, certain fans would chant ECW, and then that struck us in the heart a little more. Like, cool, these guys have been with us longer than 2001. You know, these are our real fans that know our story, our upbringing. And it just made, like, a deeper connection. And ECW was my favorite style. So, like, when I had the hardcore belt, I think I had it, like, four times or five times. It was like, dude, that was the closest uh, – being in ECW, and I loved it because I could think outside the box. I felt like I could show that I was tougher, take a little more punishment, uh, be a little more creative, and I thought that was where I thrived the best. So for me, I always was was, was happiest if I had a ladder match because that meant, boom, hardcore style again. Throw the rule book out, come up with whatever, you know, and do it. And so I never – separated myself from that even though i felt like 
the powers to be tried to pry my grip off of that a lot of times and I just didn't let go ever. So that's why, um, I don't know about the timing, why I particularly chose then, except for I was, uh, probably in my top position that I'd been up to, to it up till that point. Um, but I think it was just a thought that I'd had for a while. And I thought that he was going to say, here's the reason, you know, there's got to be a reason that Vince doesn't do an ECW pay-per-view because he knows those people chant ECW in the crowd. And he knows that a lot of us, I'm going to ask him, you know, what, why, you know, and I thought he was going to say, well, because I, 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 you know, want people to forget about that, but he didn't. He just said, well, Rob, I, I think that'd be a great idea. And I was just like, whoa, what? <laughs> And he said, I think I can make a lot of money with that. And I was like, yes, score, big W. And, and then I went around and told everybody, you know, that uh, that was in ECW, like, dude, if I can talk Vince into having an ECW pay-per-view, are you interested? You know, Taz said no. He was done wrestling. Come on, just one night? Nah, I can't do it. Spike Dudley was like, Shh. He'll never do it. No, Spike, I'm serious. Like, I think I, I, I think he will. No, he won't. Spike, just tell me, are you in? <laughs> <laughs> we need you, man. We need you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so I guess, so this was obviously the second one. I, how deflated were you that you weren't able to do the first show? It sucked. It sucked, um, you know, because of my knee surgery that I'd had, the only surgery in my life. Oh, man. I couldn't be at my best, you know, and, and wrestle. And I, I was bummed, but I was really glad that the show happened, and it was such a kick-ass show. And my part of the show was very important uh, to me and also for me and my path, you know. People got to see me talk that didn't know I could talk, and that was important. They saw I could be passionate about something, and that was one of those moments that goes down in history, even though I didn't get to wrestle on that first. It was a great pay-per-view, though, from oh my God. top to bottom. I loved it. I loved it. I thought, what a great, what a great example of what ECW is for anybody that had no idea they now can see it because we're doing it on Vince's stage, you know, the, the grandest stage of them all. The presentation. <laughs> yeah. So uh, at the time when you won the money in the bank and everything like that, was this kind of in the works of the plans happening or would to beat Cena for the title at that point? Or was this like kind of bled into one another in a lot of ways? I don't know the difference uh, in, in what you're asking because, I mean, it, it, it obviously, like, bl bled into what we were doing, uh -huh. you know. But, uh, you know, like, w I would talk to Paul a lot at this time, and he would be present in the meetings. I never was, ever, mm -hmm. in, a, in a creative meeting with the agents and bookers. And he would tell me, this is going on. They're trying to veto this and this. You know, I think I got them to agree on this. And and, and it was like that. And, and I was just so used to having the carpet pulled out from underneath me by that point that there was nothing that I would have considered concrete plans until right. it actually happened. Yeah. So even if I was told 
this is what we're going to do, or this is what I'm trying to have happen. Either way, I would have only considered it a possibility. Yeah, and, you know, it's good to, you know, tamper expectations a lot, though, too. You hope for the best, expect the worst. You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) so going into the the match and everything, obviously Cena had to expect he was going to get booed and everything like that. That he'd be the heel. Uh, did you have like a like an agent for this match? Exactly how it was all set up, and uh, wh- what was the details kind of behind the scenes in getting this match done? Hmm. I honestly don't remember if we had an agent. If we did, I can't imagine who it would have been. Right, yeah. I, I'm thinking of who was there. You know, it wasn't Fit, it wasn't Arn, wasn't Laurinaitis. I don't think. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't really remember. Like, uh, uh, what I remember was that John uh, knew he knew what he was in for. Like, he knew that that crowd was going to be roasting him. <laughs> I don't think either of us could have known how hot it would get in to there. that level holy smokes it was my god that was record breaking you know career breaking career record breaking um but he knew that they were all going to be uh, against him and want to see him get his ass beat and i remember that and i just remember him being so cool with it being such a good sport about it and uh, and then, of course, I remember with the match, just, you know, like everything just clicked so good. You know, if it wasn't – if everything wasn't on the line that was, it still was, from what I remember, like an outstandingly great match, which RVD is known for having. Right. But, uh, but with that matchup, you know, like every – I just remember thinking of the spots that we did – and and the places we were going and then not quite, you know, and then it fell short of going there and, and then, you know, teased and all. When I think about everything, I, you know, I, John was great. You know, he was, he was great. He was the top guy for a reason. And um, I remember wishing at the time that Edge wouldn't have come in and, uh, and, and helped for the finish I remember thinking my maybe that was just an ego thing. I might have just thought, you know, I should have, you know, just, just you know, should have beat him out a square. Like I didn't need any help because, you know, I'm I'm at my best. I'm trying. I'm the whole effing show. You know, I'm back, baby. You know, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what it felt like. Like I was back. It's amazing how your mind and body and spirit are all connected. When you really feel good about something. Boom, you feel good all the way through. Everything like follows it. And that's that's always so true. And at that point, it was, you know, I just felt like I was absolutely at my best, fighting for all the right reasons, the most passionate, the most I could possibly care about the business. It was my business, you know, and it was my fans, and it was it was going down the way I um thought it should go down. Although I never really felt like until the very end that I knew what was gonna happen. I didn't. Right. Yeah. Even when I jump up for the top rope, uh, five star frog splash in my mind, every time I'm thinking, I hope I land on the turnbuckle and I don't like (laughs) go to go up there and fall short or go over or fall to the ground or whatever. You know, I never, you know, we talked about this before, but yeah, I, I, that's how I think is like, I'm not 
nothing's written in stone, you know, so until it happens, it ain't happened. You just don't know. You just don't no. know. <laughs> no, I, as, a fan, as a fan point, too, from a fan perspective, I remember, like, Edge coming in and being like, oh, man, RVD could have just done it on his own. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I definitely felt like that. But so. now it's like, you know, then the three of us had something going together, even though him and Cena had something, might have been a stronger – angle going i, I kind of get it more now let me put it that way you know yeah oh for sure too and it was ecw rules that beat him you know because normally that you would yay normally you we made it <laughs> normally you would get disqualified uh, <laughs> yeah you know, but that was ecw rules not just me that beat him so i'm all right with it now yeah, and I love edge so why not edge is a good dude yeah uh, he's a he's still going to at a at a good level um, yeah. How did it feel Paul handling you the WWE title and you knowing that day too? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess you did. We, what we talked about, we didn't, you don't really know until you know, but no. Did, so what I remember, so what I remember about that, you know, like one, two, three, like, oh my God, that really just happened. That's how I felt. Like yeah. I just, <laughs> boom, like I'm on top of the world right now. It, it, the COVIDed top seat. Yep. You know, in the industry and like, whoa, and I did it my way, which meant so much more to me than winning it 20 times doing it their way. Yeah. hundred percent. Right? Uh-huh. So, so what I remember is like taking that moment in and like, uh, oh, there you go. I know I was going to get choked up about that. But I remember uh, this is weird. Meds. Sorry, that's all right. I remember, I remember dropping down to my knees, you know, and just like soaking up the crowd, and like taking all that energy in. And um, I guess that's the only time I felt that particular energy. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why it's hit me so hard because oh, I'm, yeah. I'm vibration sensitive. So this is a, I do this. But anyway, soaking it all in, and and you know, taking my flowers and then and then like when i opened up my eyes paul was there with the belt you know how i told you like he's gonna play off of you and figure out what the best way is to go so so i remember him like he was he was about to cry this is the way i remember it Uh like he was like he was like if you're gonna cry, then then we'll cry together and play it that way. And instead, I was I think I like grabbed the belt and he went from almost crying to to, to not crying, you know, just, just by playing off of me. That's that's what I remember. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> well, so when it was all said and done, what was like Vince's reaction to everything in the, the environment? Like Man, I don't remember. I don't yeah. remember seeing him that night. I could imagine not though, because it's like all that emotion and stuff going through and the reaction and with everybody there i'm sure he was happy and i I was always told the numbers were really good you know it was a great show a great match and that couldn't have gone you know i don't know how it could have gone any better you know what i mean like uh i think it was even an ecw rig you know yeah and here's something that i don't know if we've talked about this people don't take the conditions of the ring in mind as a factor you know they never do though they they can see me at an independent show uh, in a shitty ring that's 
20 feet big with nylon ropes, uh, loose ropes, and they might see footage of me doing a frog splash. And I, if it's not quite as high in their mind, basic thinkers, they're like, you know, Rob doesn't get quite as high on that frog splash as he used to, but you still look pretty good. They, they, they can't think past that first dimension. And then ECW's ring was cable, not rope, but cable. People don't know that. WWE rope is nylon rope. It'll only get so tight. The steel cable ran through a rubber hose. Turnbuckles tightened it in the corner. And that's why I could jump higher in the ECW ring and further. And I had to learn to adapt to the uh, WWE ropes. The first the first night in, I, I remember thinking, maybe I should get up there in the ring and feel those ropes. Uh, we were, and then I was, my ego told me not to, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I just sat in the seats while some of the people were working out or whatever in the daytime. Me and Tommy Dreamer were there in Atlanta, like, we're going to do this tonight, be part of the alliance. This is so cool. And and I was thinking, like, nah, I don't like to go over stuff. And that's something – dude, I even did that – I do that in movies even, which is stupid because then I'm like, man, it could have been so much better if I would have practiced it. <laughs> Damn. I just remembered in the shark movie, I had this scene, action scene where I'm upstairs on the boat uh -huh. and they wanted me to, they wanted me to find a way to get down to the bottom deck. I was like, sweet. Like I'm going to swing over this ladder, grab that net. And I looked at it and I was like, got it. <laughs> and I didn't go through it once. I went through it with the camera and I just knew I could do it better and make it even smoother the second time, but we didn't shoot it. And I, I, I do that all the time because I'm an idiot. So, <laughs> That night, I went up to the top rope uh, and uh, during the show and had to clear that 20-foot ring, not the 18-foot ECW ring, and do a, a Van Terminator to Kane with the chair. And, man, it did not feel like, like I had a lot of room to spare. No. I barely, like, reached that chair and, like, kind of kicked it into, into Kane. Uh, I can't remember who was holding it or whatever, but I remember thinking afterwards, like, okay – I need to get in this ring and bounce on him a few times. Like that's that's the confidence that allows you to do some of the things I do and get places that I've gotten in life. But at the same time, man, a little a little rehearsal or practice isn't a bad idea, but it's usually not part of my ingredients. I visualize, I visualize, and then and then I when I go through it, I feel it. And usually it's like, bam, just like I thought it would be. It's, and, you know, it's not it's not a good habit, but it's, you know, it's something that that I know about myself. Yeah. No, and it, hey, and like you said, if you don't learn from yourself from the past and you're not learning, you're not adapting. Right, right. And I do the same thing with the lines when I'm acting, you know. It's like I, I should have – the first time I'm saying the lines is on camera, you know. Brothers and sisters! And I think, you know, that it's like the next time I might say, if we shoot a bunch of times, I might change it, you know, completely, you know. Yeah. It's sisters. There you, you know, go. Yeah. It's change it, you know, the brothers and sisters. And sisters. You know? and I was like, <laughs> like, I should have played with it before I shot it. I'm, I'm a horrible actor. I suck. But that's, that's the way I go through life. And uh, I wait. And I'm Zen, 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 99% of the time. And then that 1%, I cram in everything I have to. 
That's all the work. That's all the stress. That's accomplishing. Whether it's shit on my to-do list, whether it's paying bills, whether it's you know uh, packing for a trip, whatever it is that takes me away from my zen, I've always found a way to compact that into the littlest amount of time as possible and therefore it's a very very stressful tense <laughs> little compact little time. few minutes I, yeah, I'm I'm around, yeah like someone's like hey i'll stop by before you go to the airport no no i'm trashing my place throwing everything around where'd my phone go god i just had it running around leaving shit out you know it's, it's betty it's hill bad. music is playing <laughs> because i'm doing this all the way up until 10 minutes before i gotta go right yeah it's a weekend yeah. <laughs> All right. Would you, uh, if you'd like, I, is this like, would you kind of consider this the biggest moment in your career that after getting that win? Cause you did it on your own terms. You fucking, you know, definitely, did how you definitely. Uh -huh. and, and the reason the reason, you know, I said earlier, like that's the most coveted uh, seat in the house or the industry. Besides that, the fact that I did it my way and the fact that it never would have happened unless I was able to change the entire playing field, to where my pathway was logical. And because the buildup for that match was my entire career. Right. Since me and Sabu were going through tables in 94, you know, 93 or whatever. Um, that's why all of that leading up to that, uh, that's why that was my crowning moment. And uh, thus, uh, yeah, biggest, biggest moment in my career. Hell yeah, man. The hard work pays off, man. And doing it the way you want to, too. It's just like that. That's even more. I don't think it ever would have happened traditionally, you know, if I wouldn't have brought ECW back and been the the right choice to to make, to be the, the right foot to put forward. It had to be me, you know. And um, otherwise, I don't know that I would have been able to adjust enough to make everybody sitting at the round table happy. Right, right. Because it's a, like that that whole ecoscape of WWE is just different from like you know how things are structured. And it's a, yeah, it's just a completely different beast in a lot of ways. So, um, all right, ask RVD. We're only going to do one <laughs> since we, we're going long. Uh, SL Smith ninety six asks this. This is, a, this is an interesting one. What is your favorite singlet design of all time that you've had? Do you have a one that's like that's my number one? It's a thought question, which I usually am not prepared with thought questions. Is uh, is I we was... could circle back around next week. I could add, I could get there. Well, no, no. Time. I'm just trying to. I'm just explaining the, the. Hey, the show is one of a kind, so I'm here to share my perspective. This is this this is consistent with RVDology. I don't have a favorite color. I don't have a favorite car. Favorite football team. A favorite singer. I don't. You know, I usually name my friends. Try put them over. Favorite. Yeah. I usually go with casino, but sometimes I might say something else. You know, I remember. Anyway, um, one of the outfits that I really liked is uh, it has a um, down in the on the side on my stomach. It has my face. A lot of people don't remember that. Um, I have. I think I have an action figure of it, but it was just a prototype. They never made the action figure of it. But Joe Holland drew my face like a cartoon character, my face, and I think I'm, I think I'm pointing, you know, like grr, and it's like on the upper leg, like side. Um, I just saw that on on something that somebody was showing me or gave me the other day. But anyway, that one sticks out, and um, um. 
Well, what's another one? Uh, uh, I like the one that I wore um, when I debuted on. I think I wore that. I don't know. Maybe I didn't debut with this one, but it had all the, the logos of the different companies on it. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. Mm-hmm. That one was uh, cool. Um, I liked the I had, Jaws one, the one you had Jaws on the back. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's, there's a couple that I've only worn like once or twice, mostly because they faded. The one that I wore at the debut of the Van Terminator in L.A. at uh, – what was ECW's pay-per-view? I don't know if it was barely legal or what they called it in LA. Uh, I don't uh, think it was. Legal. I know Chris would know. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Chris is yelling at me right now. <laughs> Let us know in the comments. Yes, that's what they're doing. Um, but anyway, I wore a white outfit. Uh-huh. And I think I've only worn that maybe one other time. And it's because it's white. Like, it'll just get, like, so dirty that I can't. I can't very well uh, wash that and keep wearing it. Most outfits, depending on how much paint, sometimes I can wear them uh, 10, 15 times, sometimes like one or two times, and it just fades. The Iron Man outfit faded uh, pretty quickly. A lot of them just fade like after the first time, just wearing them, and I got to send them back. And Joe said, yeah, the heat didn't set right on that. He knows what he's doing, and and it's a – and it's a process that developed over years, you know, like at first it was just a silhouette of me doing a kick, a sideways kick, yeah. uh, you know, behind it with a lightning bolt. And that was my idea. And he did that one. And, and then it got pretty extravagant, you know, where he was doing uh, one of them that I, that I wore. I know I wore it in the match with Doug Furness and Phil LaFont. Uh, it was, it, and I also wore it in, uh, in, in Japan, a, a match with uh, Kikuchi, but it was like um, he did the he, he designed it after a Japanese artist named Soriyama, and that's what was so cool about it is like fans would know that, but it's it, it's white with like blue a- accents, and it's almost like the whole thing is like almost like ribbed, like layered, you know? Whoa! Yay! Yeah! <laughs> oh. <laughs> we make it seven. Let's go seven. One more time. This coffee cup. Is fired after this, <laughs> will not be used for this again. But <laughs> the length of the show, man, I got to keep it around, you know, union and everything. Right, exactly, exactly. You don't want to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rob, it's uh, you ready for some RVDology? Uh, yeah, dude, absolutely. So, um, if if somebody wants to uh, to get a rub off of my energy. And they wanna, and they wanna know how they can be cool like RVD. Here's one, here's one thing uh, about me. See, I avoid all negative energy as much as possible. That's why I, I, I keep myself zenful for 99 percent of the time until I have to go to work because it, it screws up my vibration. My goal ever since I left WWE after that stretcher match with Randy Orton, my goal was to get my spirit healthy. And I realized that has to do with my vibration. And the higher I get my vibration, uh, the, the better I am, the better person I am, the better I feel, the better my output, uh, the better people see me. It, it's amazing. Your vibration is like everything. And people pick up on people's vibrations sometimes when they don't even know they'll just be like whoa that dude that dude looks shady i don't know i got a weird feeling off of him sometimes they don't know and i've been asked before 
um, Steve Austin asked me on his show, he said, now, how do you, if you're one of those people that can read people's energy, you know, he said, how do you go about doing that? Well, the first way is to read your own energy, to be cognizant of your own vibrations and pay attention to how they change around certain stimuli. Boom. All right. You're around that guy. He made you feel shady. Guess what? You felt his energy by feeling your response to it. So, so that, so, so, so that's where it starts. It's all, it's all inside. Anyway, I had to make my spirit healthy and my, and my, and my vibration became uh, the most important thing. And it still is now. And that was in what, 2006 or 2007. I make all my choices around that, around how is it going to affect my vibration? Here's the thing, negative thoughts and negative feelings, they screw your vibration up. Every one of them, it, you vibrate at a lower frequency and it changes everything about, about you just traveling through the universe trying to have a good day. And that could be sadness, it could be worry, it could be uh, depression. Whoa, yay. You got it. <laughs> And it could be anger, all right? I avoid all of that. And mostly, well, all of it, really. But I want to talk about avoiding anger because a lot of people will feel anger and it's part of their regular day, part of their regular life. And I'm telling you, according to me, in my ideology, that lowers the quality of your life by changing your vibration and lowering your own frequency. There's never ever a, a time I can think of where being angry is really helpful. I remember, I remember before I really traveled around, you know, when it met like a lot of really tough people, I remember people that would say like, Oh, I can't really fight. I don't know. I may not know how to fight, but when I get angry, I see red and I don't care if you're taking me down, I'm taking four or five guys with me, you know? And I remember when I was young enough to be like, wow, I'm going to remember that. You know, that was before I met like some real people, you know, real tough people and saw the world and stuff that doesn't fly in the bigger picture. When you get angry, it does release cortisol and it does release um, adrenaline, which are hormones that do help in your fight or flee circumstance when you need that and you need to go or you need to act. So it, so it can make you temporarily a little stronger or faster. It's also going to cloud your judgment. Um, it's also going to cloud your um, um your your um i'm trying to think of a better word than balance your your being kind of like your articulation you know your yeah. ability your just just your ability to to be graceful yeah. um anger does nothing except uh bring your vibration way down and and now you're angry and worked up and you're not going to act out of your most intelligent state of mind you're not you're not um i've knocked this computer over 15 times during this show right yeah. i could easily be like god damn it you know oh, and i could get mad yeah. what would that solve 
it would solve nothing except it would change my vibration. Maybe I'd get over it real soon. Maybe I wouldn't, you know? Um, so being conscious of that, I think can really help a lot of people's lives. Like if people are listening and they say, you know what, Rob's right. I'm going to make an effort, uh, because I do get a lot of anger. Well, here's the thing. Um, even, um, other feelings, they're all, they're all related. So, uh, you, you could easily be disappointed and allow yourself to be disappointed but guess what? Disappointed can really change into anger like that because they're related. You know, watch this. Here's disappointed. Oh, really? Damn, man. And now how watch how quick it changes to, oh, really? Damn, man. How many fucking times? You know, it's they're they're not that different, and they're both a negative vibration. And it's so easy for people to do. Now, if you have kids, sometimes you got to yell at them. Why? You try to intimidate them so that you can take their energy so that they'll pay attention to you and be in a submissive manner because you've just taken their energy by intimidating them. It's an energy control drama. Um, and, and that's one thing that parents or adults sometimes feel like they have to do. I'm here to tell you, I don't do that. I don't get mad. I, I once in a great, great while, a lot of things will build up on me um, and uh, and and I'll be stressed out, you know, maybe traveling for a few days, not sleeping right. Someone annoying on the airplane that won't let me sleep because they're so loud and drunk. Yeah. Maybe once in a while I'll reach a point where I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to say something that's really stepping out of my comfort zone. And it almost it almost never happens. Um Quick little story. Uh, when we were in uh, in Los Angeles for uh, WrestleMania, um, I went to WrestleMania. I was part of the Connor Cure um, group. Went around meeting different people that were members of the club, financiers, members of different status in the different VIP boxes. And, uh, and Katie watched the show. It was so. It took so long to get there from the hotel and it wasn't that far but it's just la oh it's la yeah oh my god it seemed like you know 35 minutes to go like maybe six miles or something it was it was ridiculous it took forever to get there when we were there i was drinking you know going from box to box drinking uh, mimosas you know hey yeah nice to meet you sure we'll do a photo you know oh for me thank you someone after a while kept kept me kept my glass full and um we took the bus back with the group and it was quite an adventure. I'm sitting right behind the bus driver and uh, Katie and her friend were right across from me. And um, the, I was just getting so annoyed at being on the road. It was taking so long. And so I looked up on my phone how to get to the hotel and, and I kept realizing he, keep, he keeps passing these options to turn left. You know what I mean? And it was getting me mad, you know, alcohol, does yeah make you lose your control of your emotions which guaranteed makes you lose your wisdom you yep. know 100 <laughs> i'm like eventually i'm like if he doesn't turn on, on olive street or whatever i'm gonna say something you know and, and and he went straight and i said dude when the fuck are you gonna turn left and he goes and i'm right behind him right behind him you know like he's <laughs> he's as close as you are right now to me yeah <laughs> 
And uh, he said, he's an Asian dude. And he says, ah, oh, he goes, let me drive. And I said, I am. I'm just waiting when you're going to turn left. I, I'm watching this thing go from 14 minutes, 16 minutes, 18 minutes. When are you going to fucking turn? And, you know, Katie was kind of embarrassed. Like, huh? You know, quiet, you know? And I'm like, you know, and, and, I'm, and, that, and, then I, and I'm watching it. And, and I'm like, okay, am I going to get more mad? But then all of a sudden, uh, he gets this intersection. Then it drops all the way down to like 12. And I'm like, this guy knows what he's doing, you know? <laughs> yeah. What am I doing yelling at him? I don't yell at people, and I don't even take their energy like that, you know? That's not that's not something that I do, you know what I mean? And I was like, I got to make this right, you know what I mean? And uh, and I leaned forward, and I said, I apologize, sir. He said, let me drive. I said, okay. And I, I said, I'm good with that. That's cool. Yeah. All of a sudden, boom, he hits this car. <laughs> it's the car. He gets out. Uh, so I got out, and I got out, and I'm filming with my phone. You know what I mean? Say, hey, I don't know what's going on here. And the dude, uh, he hit a car that was trying to change lanes, uh -huh. and the guy gets out of his car with gun in hand. Yeah, and I'm filming this, you know, and I, I thought I was going to have to take the gun from his hand. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I got up to him, you know, and I'm like, whoa, dude, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm putting it away. That's why That's why I'm opening the trunk. I'm putting it away. Um, and, and I watched him put it in a box in, in, the, in the trunk of his car. And, uh, you know, I, thought, I think I'm going to have to save everybody or something. Got a crazy thing on the streets of L.A. Him and the bus driver start talking. Now that he's got the trunk shut. Didn't you see me? What do you mean, didn't I see you? You see the white line there? Are you coming over here? You know, I had to pee like really bad. You know, like I said, I was drinking, you yeah. know, and I, and I see the 7-Eleven and I run over there and Katie says me too. And we run over there and we pee. Then when we come out, everybody's gone. Everybody's gone. We're on the street in LA in the middle of all the, <laughs> yeah. Like, what happened? You know, what? And then I hear Rob, and I see, like, uh, half a block away, somebody's waving me, and the bus was over there around the corner on the next street. So, like, we ran over there, and I found out that after I left, they were arguing. The guy got back in his trunk and pulled the gun out, and the bus driver got in behind the wheel and took off and left us. And so now at this point, nobody's there. I got footage of the guy, which I I wouldn't want to tell on him, you know, stooge him off. That's I don't see any point in that. But um, we ended up driving, and then not even going to the right hotel. All of those people from the all those people from the damn uh, Connors Cure were staying at different hotels, so we still had to Uber to get back to the Biltmore. But um, I, I but I thought about that about me getting angry at him, and it happened so few times that. I can recollect stories, you know, like so much time goes by. When I do get angry uh, and I lose my cool, I automatically am mad at myself. Right, yeah. yeah. Driving gets everybody mad because you're driving, there's road rage, there's, you know, people, why should I have to go the speed that this jerk off in front of me thinks I should go? You know what I mean? Like, it's not him to decide what I got going on in my day. It's easy to do, but there's, there's really not um, – there's not much. So I dropped this ass or no, the, the, the laptop, not the ass. I didn't drop that one yet. I probably no, you're will. Good there. You're good there. Hey, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. I dropped the laptop like 20 times. Like I said, instead of getting mad, 
This is what I like to do. I, what did I do? Do you remember? You're like, oh, hey, well, you know, and you just made, you went on with the day. You went on with I it. sold it like it was a good thing. Yeah, I went, like yay, good. yay, yeah, right. yeah. Good. That's what I do. And, and uh, Katie and I both do that. We use sarcasm to keep us from getting angry. And sometimes it's so funny that we even laugh because, yeah. you know, you bring in bad news and it's like, um, hey, guess what? The, uh, the axle fell off the car. Sweet. You know, ho- hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully that's the car we were planning on taking uh, tonight, you know, to do this drive. We're like, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we always do that. Hi, baby. Hi, baby. She just came home. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So, so we use sarcasm um, all the time and I never get mad. Um, I will feel anger creep up on me all the time. It's stupid things. And then instantly I have I have something that jumps on it and just wipes it out instantly, like uh, a, a quarter of a second. And it'll be over something stupid. You know, it could just be like it could be something left out on the counter. And in my mind, I want to blame Katie for, it, you know, and I'll, and I'll be like, why don't you put these in the sink? But it'll take like a, a quarter of a second until instantly it goes away. Like I feel it start to come on. And then common sense kicks in, and then I'm like, I do the same thing. She doesn't do anything that I don't do. Yeah, right? I catch myself doing everything that I ever try to blame her for, and it's like, it's so stupid. So there's never a reason that I can find where getting mad helps. All it does is make me regret losing my cool. I regret being that asshole because uh, I think angry RVD is an asshole RVD. Um, and, and usually uh, I'll regret the decision that I made, whatever I said, or um, or not being able to speak uh, um, cool with a clear mind, like, hey, take a hand. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So That's when, you get, when you get those moments, like when you mentioned it, like a split second where you're just like, okay, I tapered it away. It's like, that's, you know, it's not that big. Do you immediately go to like, I got to think of, do you think about like, I've got to think of what I'm going to, how I would feel afterwards. Or do you be like, I'm going to make, the, I'm going to think of, about this in a humorous way or something. I've Is trained. This- no, I've trained myself. So like it seriously doesn't even last like a quarter of a second. Wow. It's like, it, it, it's like a, like a little, like a little spray of something that hits me and then right behind it is the hose spraying full blast in my face and then i realized how stupid that was that i was gonna get mad it might be it might be just uh, at myself you know what i mean like i might like boom say i knock the ashtray on the uh uh, over on the floor and i'm like oh and then i go bend down to do it and the computer also falls over and now it's a big deal for just a little bit, I'm going to be mad. I'm going to be like, good, because I feel like the universe is working against me. Or right. to put that a different way, I feel like I'm not connected to the universe, uh, which is true, which is why they, my vibration disconnected me. That's exactly what happened. I don't know if we can squeeze all that in right here, but it's very relevant. But anyway, you know, stumbling around something like that, I, you know, a lot of times I get that little taste little taste of anger where where i start to be like and then instantly you know it's just like sweet (laughs) (laughs) you know know, hopefully the computer is broke you know and i gotta get a new one right (laughs) fingers crossed (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah we do that 24 7 and uh i don't there's really not an exception to it you know like once in a while if we really do have news to to break or so hey you know 
so-and-so died, you know, Iron Sheik passed away. Did you hear that? You know, then we're not going to be like, oh, that's cool. You know, great. You right, know, yeah. it doesn't quite work, you know, with certain things. But but when it's us getting screwed over, you know, or us having to something falling apart on us or our plans or something that's going to make more work on us or whatever, it's always it's, it's always the, the most fun, you know, to say, you know, oh, oh, sweet. You know, I fell in the pool. That was, that was great. You know, oh, nice. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it's awesome. Laundry. I got my clothes away. Now I get to nice. change it. Now I get to do more laundry and shit. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, you get it. So, oh, yeah. Maybe take a page out of my book and try that if you have uh, anger issues. That's a, a, a practice. And uh, like I said, I trained myself, so it's a second nature. I don't have to think about anything. I, I despise being angry. Like I hate, and hate is a negative emotion too, but I really, really don't like it when I'm angry to the point of where it's the last thing I want. You know, everything is about my spiritual vibration, like I said, everything. So I avoid anything that's going to possibly make me angry. And if I have to do it, I deal with a short amount of time and I might be very angry during that time. And then afterwards I, I, I'm, I'm not happy with myself, you know, no. uh, even if I feel like someone deserves it, like, you know what, I'm going to tell this guy, you know, to shut the fuck up sitting next to me. You know, <laughs> if I do, then afterwards, you know, I'm like, that wasn't cool. What's the benefit of all that? Yeah. You yeah. Know? You put negative energy out there and then you feel negative in turn of it. But you know what it is? It's entitlement and people feel entitled. So it's like, yeah, you're damn right. I'm angry. You're right. I got a fuck. I got the fucking right to scream like an idiot and, 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 and cloud my intelligence and say stupid things. I have a right to make bad decisions right now. You know? Yeah. Right. It's entitlement. <laughs> well, yeah. sweet. I learned it. I learned a lot again. I learned last oh. week too. And it's just, yeah, it's a, hey, you didn't share with me what you learned last night. Okay, last night. yeah, let me tell you. So it's kind of neat that you said you know what you don't know because yeah. I, all in nonfiction is relevant. All of it, it all right. connects together. It really does. And so I, so I was diagnosed with OCD back when I was like seventeen, and so a lot of my thing came with uncertainty and how to think about like okay, like living in that I'm not going to know what's going to happen. Am I going to become a certain person? Am I going to do something that's going to like cause somebody's life to change in a negative fashion? And so I would always obsess over that. And I would always obsess about like what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen. Even to stuff me. you can't do anything about, stuff right? Stuff I can't do shit about. Like that, that I don't have any control over. And right. you know, it took me years to kind of like get that to that point to it, like where you acceptance. know, yeah, acceptance of it all. And uh, like the th my therapist, the one I currently go to, even she was the one that kind of put that. She's like, "Well, you just don't know." And she's like, "You won't have an answer either way. It does. You cannot get an answer from this, and you're gonna have yeah. like." And part of that is just living with that, and, yeah. and dealing with that anxiety that comes with it. And like, you know, at and to your point, like when you when you're talking about getting angry. It's almost like a second nature thing where you'd be like, all right, I'm not going to know, but that's okay. You know, what am I going to do? You know, it's, and so when you, when you talked about that, I like, it was something that was already like kind of there for me, but in a way it just made me more cognizant of it. So. Yeah, dude, that's yeah. awesome. Um, yeah. I saw, I saw a clip of that on my YouTube and somebody didn't get it. Like a comment, someone said, I don't think I really understand it. If you're watching, think of it this way. Um, when I first met Katie, we're, we're waiting at a red light. 
and then, and then all of a sudden a car comes towards us from across the intersection in our lane and then swerves over and goes by. First thing she says is, he's drunk. And then she's like, right? I don't know. How would I possibly know that that guy's drunk? How would I possibly know? And so, like, I've kind of trained her to uh, think that way and, 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 and even more so to expect that from me with my responses, you know? So if you think about it that way, like, you you don't know, but there is stuff that, that you don't know and you have to be okay with, with that. A lot of people can't do that. My friend was, was saying, uh, dude, I got fired for no reason at all. Like, dude, no, there was, there was a reason. No. <laughs> Oh, no reason. Like, <laughs> just because you don't know what the reason doesn't mean there wasn't there was something that happened. <laughs> yeah, believes in his mind. No, unless it was this one thing. But I already talked to him about that, so it wasn't that. No, and he can't accept that, dude. You're not gonna know everything. You got to know that you don't know most of anything that's going on. You know very little. So if that doesn't help, then you never will understand. And. Uh, and yeah, it's all uh, it's all the the same as uh, as what we're talking about now with anger. In fact, I would recommend as a first step if you want to work on uh, on your anger issues as a first step acceptance. All right, if it's something that you can't do anything about, just accept it. You know what I mean? Um, man, I went to ride my bike and. Um, Damn, I didn't that, you know, didn't I, the tire was flat, you know what I mean? So I had to get, then I went to get the tire and now the seat, you know, doesn't, it doesn't, work. and now I find out, you know, the, the chain doesn't, it's like, I could get angry at that, like, oh, what is this? But at, this, at, the, um, at the same time, if it's something I can't do anything about, then I just have to accept it and be like, well, okay, you know what, now I got to do this and then go from anger to acceptance and then go to sarcasm and then it makes it fun because then, yeah. then you're like there's nothing i can do about it it sucks and by the way i use the yin yang symbol for that for acceptance i always have i've looked at it like there's like half of it's white half of it's black and i look at it and i categorize things in there like well you know what i got a flat tire that sucks i'm gonna put that in the black you know what i mean wow how about oh, that yeah, yeah. I've always done that. And uh, hey, this is a good thing. I'm gonna put that in the in the positive thing. And overall, it all balances out. But sometimes you gotta look at a shorter picture, sometimes a bigger picture. You don't always know, but that's the fact is that you don't always know. Anger, acceptance, and then go to sarcasm and make it fun. You know, yeah. it's like, oh sweet, I gotta I need a I need my tire fixed and never wears clothes for the holidays. So now, now I can't get it till Monday. Yes. Oh, Monday's a Monday? Sweet. Now I can't get it till Tuesday. I'm stuck. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. And then it increases my vibration instead of lowering my vibration. And that's what I'm after. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. That's what you guys could be after too, you know? So, oh. hey, all right. So if you're seeing us, you are watching us on the Premier Streaming Network if you're seeing the full episode. We also get the full clips on rvdpod.com so you can check those out uh you can follow rob there at the real rvd you can follow me at dominic d'angelo and i'm trying to think if there's anything else i should be plugging too rob is there anything you want to plug uh see this is gonna air in a few days right a days. well yeah it'll air on premiere tomorrow and then okay yeah on, oh, okay know. yeah sunday I'm in uh, Jacksonville at oh, um, River City. Con, right? Yeah, yeah, Man. 
Yeah, I can't remember who else is there, but I know I'm going to see some friends. Some of the rest. Kurt's there. I think Kurt is there. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I love seeing Kurt. So that'll be cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. And then, um, and then when I come back, we'll do another one, and we'll talk about where I'm going that week. I like that. Cool. Yeah. So right. okay, guys. Hey, thanks for doing this, everybody, and tuning in. And Rob, it's always a good time. Bullshit with you here, man. It's Indeed. Indeed. Thanks, Dom. Have an excellent night and uh, be fantastic. All right, guys. We'll see you All next right. week here on Wonderful Cat. I was waiting for some kind of sign, some kind of indication. I was wasting my time.